Welcome to the Happy Pill Podcast. I'm Ursula Yerdun. In each episode, you're going to hear me share my story while offering information and resources while you continue on your journey of surpassing the effects of abuse and depression. I'm going to be doing some interviews with some very special guests who are going to share their journey and processes, because my way is not the only way of healing, and the more information we have, the more we can share with one another. My hope is that you find love, inspiration, and purpose for your life. So let's get started. Hey everybody, welcome back and I'm so excited to share this episode with you. I've got a couple of things that I need to clean up uh, first. First and foremost, I was asked again, once again, Ursula, you've got a great name, how do you spell it? So I'm going to give that one more time so people can actually find my web address, which is kind of cool if you want to check out some resources and check out my um, blog and stuff like that. So U-R-S-U-L-A-J-O-R-D as in Donald A-A-N as in Nancy. So that's UrsulaYourDone.com. You're Done is a Dutch name. Actually, um, I've had people pronounce it as just Jordan, as in the Canadian or American version of it. I've also had people pronounce it as Jordan, <laughs> really into emphasizing the double A there. It's just, oh, not quite, but thanks for coming out. And then sometimes I've actually gotten the, it sounds almost Swedish, like Jordan. <laughs> I was like, Ursula Jordan. Uh, no, <laughs> no, but thank you so much because it's actually kind of cute and I laugh about it. So my first name, Ursula, was chosen by my opa. He passed away quite a number of years ago. I think it was in 88 or in 89 that he passed away. And he loved the name Ursula so much, also because he loved Sweden. So it's actually a German and Swedish name. <laughs> not not Jürgen, though. And so I actually chose to keep my first name because I didn't like it. Honestly, I wanted to be called Jordan, if you can believe that of all things. I actually wanted to be called Jordan. And um, so when I knew and found out that he named me, I chose to keep it. As far as my last name's concerned, um, because I wanted something of my Oma when she passed away, I chose to take her maiden name, which is You're Done, and make it my own name. So there we go. So Ursula You're Done is in homage to my grandparents. And I totally forgot the second thing I was going to say, so I'm moving on. All right. So I've decided to call this episode A Million Little Steps, because what I have found personally for my own journey is that it is just one small step after another step after another step. Sometimes I'll take big jumps and leaps and, you know, go off these like major boulders in my healing, but I find it is such a journey. So the smaller the steps, the easier it can be to manage. So the steps that I'm going to share with you right now are going to be simple and small, but I think that they are the most pertinent. So let's start there. What I have discovered in my healing journey is that healing is multi-layered and multi-leveled. So this is part of what I call a million little steps. What I want to share are the three biggest steps that I think are essential to starting the healing process. And to do that, I'm actually going to start to share a bit of my story. Now, what I feel like I want to do is to share at least the first 21 years of my life experience, because that one happens to be the most profound, and that's where I really started to take off after my 21 years. I was born in the Netherlands uh, quite a number of years ago, and we immigrated to Canada when I was just less than a year old, so about nine months, nine months to a year. During that time, my parents were still together, but they did divorce when I was two years old. 
My father had assaulted a family member, and that was one of the reasons why they got divorced. So for most of my life, I actually didn't even know my father or even realized that I had a father or, or was supposed to have a father. At that point, a man came into our life uh, who lived in Calgary. I believe he still lives in Calgary here. And he was a realtor. That's how my folks first found a place, um, was knowing this man. And they didn't know anybody when they came to Canada. This man uh, became significant to my parents. And it was this man who ended up assaulting me when I was a little girl. So I was severely sexually assaulted from the age of three or four years old until about 10 or 11. So that was seven years of assault by this man who became a friend of the family. Definitely was not my friend. Um, in fact, I loathe this man. I've quite often in later years would call him fat fuck. And so pardon that term if you're offended by language or anything. But my truth is, is that that is what I had called him. That happened for seven years, and I wasn't the only family member that was abused by this man. However, I'm not going to share the stories of my family members because that's their stories, that's their journeys, and I'm not going to mention who they are. Everybody's journey is personal. How we interpret abuse is, is going to be different for everybody. So my way of healing and looking into abuse is going to be different than any other family member that I have. So I'm just going to share my stuff. So for the first, yeah, 10, 11 years being severely abused, I was also bullied at the time as well. I was a tall girl and I developed really quickly. I was wearing a bra by, when was I, grade three, grade four already? Somehow I had just sprouted. Now, my father is really tall, so I'm also really tall, especially for the time. Being so young and having developed so quickly, that just made me feel terribly vulnerable to people and attackers and and accusers. So I was about five or six years old when I was in grade one. And because of the abuse, I had actually failed grade one. And this is what they had called it back then in the day. They don't do that now because apparently it has quite a lot of psychological damages to children if they are told that they had failed a grade. But that's what happened to me. I actually failed grade one. And that stuck with me for really the rest of my life because that's a terrible feeling to go through. Now, I had failed because of abuse, but nobody knew what was happening to me at the time. The family didn't know, other, you know, friends, teachers. At that time, nobody was aware of these kind of things. And it certainly wasn't talked about. So dealing with the abuse, dealing with failure, and dealing with how quickly I developed, that just made me feel terribly vulnerable and insecure on top of what I was feeling from the abuse. So I would also get bullied as well. I was bullied because I was tall. I was bullied because people thought I was a boy, uh, which is really strange because honestly, I developed, like I said, my chest area so quickly. I don't know how people thought I was a boy. That being said, though, I do admit I was a huge tomboy. So perhaps that's where they were getting confused from, even though I had, uh, even though I had breasts. The abuse ended when I was around 10 or 11 years old, and that's when my mom had met someone else at this point. Now, this other person I did not get along with at all and really struggled with for quite a number of years, and I just didn't feel safe. I didn't feel that this person was a father figure. I didn't like this person at all, and I just felt grossed out, creeped out 
honestly. And I'm not used to having a father figure in my life or a male figure in my life because one, not only you know, was my dad abusive, then, you know, another man abuses me. And then this man comes in and he's checking me out underneath my door and being creepy and, and stuff like that. So that's not a positive figure at all. At this point, as I'm growing up and getting into my later teens, uh, being developed as I already was, I became this attraction to male energy because I have a very curvy figure and had a very hourglass figure. It's a little bit more rounded as I've gotten older. But that was, you know, that was what I I looked like. And getting that kind of attention did not make me feel good because any kind of attention I got made me feel like I was going to be abused. So as I got into my early 20s, a family member from Holland decided to come and visit. And this person was also very physically assaultive to me and other family members. And I remember him coming one night and he was drunk and he was physically assaulting one of my family members. And I came down the stairs and I wanted to stop this fight. And he came and charged at me and, and swore and hit me so hard, I thought he broke my neck. It just, it cracked and it snapped seven times. My head just whipped right around and I just thought, that's it. So I went to the neighbors and I called the police and I've never seen this family member since. What I recognized and came into awareness that night after the police had left and after this family member drove off drunk was that when I was standing in my bedroom and looking out the window, I felt an immense sense of pity and sadness for this person. It was quite unreal, especially after being violated like that. I couldn't understand why I was feeling pity and sadness. And the moment I recognized that, I realized, wow, this is how women stay abused. So in that sadness and in those emotions, I recognized that, yes, I could have actually forgiven him. And later on in life, I I did do that. But if I had allowed that in the moment, then that's what keeps the abuse going. Abuse is a cycle. It happens. I forgive. It happens again. I forgive. It happens again. And it keeps going on and on and on until a decision is made to stop it. So because I was aware of that in that moment, I actually stopped that cycle from happening again. I stopped it from repeating. Now, that was the one moment that I managed to catch the abuse in the moment. I couldn't do that when I was a child because I just simply didn't have the awareness yet. And I'm so thankful that I recognized that in that moment because I no longer allowed this person into my life. And this would be a significant moment that would come into my healing just shortly after. So these are the first 21 years of my life. Now these are, it's just a basic highlight, but they were not pleasant. They were very difficult years for me, but yet I survived. So that's actually a really good thing. That's a beautiful thing. Why I survived, I have no idea. How I survived, truth be told, I don't really know that either. I just know that anytime there's confrontation, I run and hide. That's my coping mechanism. That's what I do. I run and hide because that's what keeps me safe. So after receiving these physical and sexual and emotional assaults, I was a very angry young woman by the time I was in my early 20s, 20 to 23, very angry. I had all these emotions that I could not explain and I didn't have anybody to talk to. There was no one that I could share this with. So I felt like I was completely alone in this. And also I thought that that was a form of parenting. Now I don't remember the actual rapes themselves, not in my mind. I don't have those memories. My body remembers. My senses remember. 
but my mind doesn't remember. What my mind does remember are the molestations. I remember that. I remember having those images and I remember feeling so small, so insecure, so terribly afraid and grossed out beyond anything. Those things I do remember. But all these emotions led to complete insecurity, absolute feelings of unworthiness, uncertainty, fear, doubt, extreme low self-esteem, insomnia, PTSD. And these are things I wasn't even aware of at the time. I didn't even know that PTSD existed. And I certainly didn't know that I was in it. And because I didn't know any different, I just assumed that that was part of life. I had assumed that this is what men do to you. Because the male energy I had growing up from basically my birth until I was 21 was that men were powerful. They were assaultive. They were insulting. They were going to take what they want, when they wanted, however they wanted. And you were left with nothing. Or essentially, I was left with nothing. This is what I thought and felt was the world ahead of me. That women were not powerful. That women did not have a voice. Especially little girls. Especially as a teenager. And I wasn't believed. I told my folks when I was 16 that what had happened to me as a little girl from what I could remember, the molestations. And you know what they said? My mom stood there and said nothing to me. While my stepfather said, you're lying. That's bullshit. That was the response I got for me finally coming out and saying something. So what that led to was my first suicidal thought. Now, suicide is a very difficult subject, and it was happening in my high school at that time. There was some friends. I didn't know them very well. Some of them were more acquaintances, I should say, because they were a year or two ahead of me. And this beautiful boy, um, who was actually quite popular at the time, committed suicide. And it was a shock to all of us. It really was because we had no idea what had happened. He seemed to be very athletic and outgoing and a really nice fellow. And yet it's common. You just don't know what someone is going through. So I was starting to have those thoughts because I wasn't believed. So because I wasn't believed, I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't know how to share this information and I didn't know what it was. All I know was that my emotions were really starting to become overactive. I wanted to blame people. I was very angry, very, very angry. And I didn't know how to deal with that anger. So for me, I wanted to turn it into blame. I wanted to blame my parents. I wanted to blame certain family members because I couldn't understand the anger. And I just wanted to deflect it. I wanted to put it on to somebody else. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't my issue. It's not my concern. It's not me. It's not me. It's not me. So blame and shame and anger are all tied together. And I'm going to do an episode on blame and shame because those are really difficult. Um, that's a challenging combination, blame and shame. And that deserves its own credit to look into that separately. What I started to notice for myself as well was that I could quickly escalate my anger by a simple thought. Now, when I was living in my own apartment, uh, I was about 21 or 22 at the time, I would walk to work. I was working at a restaurant um, here in Calgary, and I would go for my shifts. I was working the later shifts, and I would walk there, and it would take about a half hour. And my day started off well. But as I started to walk to work, I had a thought 
There was something within the family. There was something about the stepfather that was really pissing me off. And what I did, and I didn't realize, I didn't recognize this at the time, is that I took that thought and I kept... I kept sitting with it. I kept percolating over it. And the more I kept thinking about this thought, the more I became irritated. And the more I did that, the more a scenario started to create in my mind, right? And it wasn't necessarily the story that was actually happening or that had happened. But what my mind does is it takes this angry thought and it builds a story around it. So as I'm walking to work, the story keeps developing about how this person is so annoying to me and how I hate this person and this is going to happen and that's going to happen and if that happens this is what I'm going to this is what I'm going to say and this is what I'm going to do. And so by the time I actually got to work, I was in full anger mode. And sure enough, my coworkers pick up on that and they're like, "Wow, Ursula, are you okay? Like what's going on?" And I couldn't tell them that. I couldn't tell them that I had a simple thought, an angry thought, a negative thought, and that I somehow manifested it into feeling complete rage. I couldn't understand that process. So I couldn't tell them why I was angry, or I would tell them that, no, I'm just pissed off, I got family issues, and blah, 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 blah. You know, but what I did is I took that energy into work with me, and then that affects the other people around me. So what I noticed at the time as well is that people are starting to notice my energy fluctuations, right? I would be very moody and I couldn't understand these massive mood swings that I would have. I could be very happy and loving and kind and then all of a sudden let my mind take over into these negative thoughts and negative feelings and I would go down into a dark path. So people would start to notice this. Coworkers would start to notice this. Friends would start to notice this. And what I discovered after that is that they would start to tell me about it because they were so frustrated. They didn't know which Ursula was coming in that day. Is it going to be the nice, sweet, funny one? Or is it going to be the bitchy, angry one that we don't know how to deal with? And that was really hurtful to me. It was hurtful because they're obviously witnessing what I am sharing and expressing outwardly. You know, they would judge me as being bisexual, which at the time was like, this isn't something that you talked about. And that made me very angry. You know, my friend, who was my really good friend at the time, I didn't realize that she was afraid of me. So when people started to call me out on my issues, I, I didn't know how to take that, right? And I knew that they were right because this, this is how I was feeling, but it wasn't who I truly was as a person. I wanted to be love and light and joyful and energy because that's who I was. And there were so many moments when I could have that, but they were completely overshadowed by these darker stories and this anger and this energy that I was carrying at the time. And what happened was I lost my friend. I lost my friend and rightfully so, because really when it comes down to it, I was a bitch. What happened was, is I became obsessive. I became um, totally attached to someone else because they had a life that I wanted to have. They had a childhood that I wanted to have. They had friends. They had loving family. They had beautiful holiday seasons. And they all had lives that I never had. And so my jealousy and my insecurity came forth 
And that was the life that I wanted to have for myself. And I didn't. So I got jealous and secure and attached and judged. That That's what happened. And when that information started to come back to me, I can't lie. I felt like shit. I really did. Because I knew that that was not who I was. Inside, I was a very insecure girl that just said, love me, love me, love me, please. Just love me, love me, love me. And when people tried to love me, I couldn't receive that. I couldn't receive that because I assumed that when they were trying to give me that love and affection, it meant that I was powerless and that I was going to be abused because women are supposed to be abused. So can you see where the confusion lies that I'm wanting love, but I can't receive love because of what I experienced? But because some of these people had the courage to share with me, um, really, they, they took a risk. Honestly, like I said, I was really dark and negative. These people shared with me that they liked me, but this. They respected me, but this. And what I realized is that people respected me out of fear, not because they liked me. And then it became to dawn on me that I was like, this is not who I want to be. I don't want to be this negative person. That's not who I am. So the first thing that I did, and this is going to be the first step, and that was becoming aware. I became aware of how angry I was. I became aware that this was not who I wanted to be. Now, I wasn't completely aware of the jealousy and insecurity at the time, even though I felt it, you know, I was just deflecting it. I was avoiding it. I didn't want to talk about that because those are bad things. I don't want to be those bad things that people talk about. You know, uh, that's not me. No, 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 no. Because there's so much judgment when we say that we are insecure, that we feel shameful or that we're fearful, right? Again, that's part of like the mental illness stigma. There's, you know, there's judgment towards that. So, I couldn't get into that yet. I just knew that I was angry and I knew I wanted to change it. So what does it mean to be aware? What does that look like? What does that feel like? And I'm going to give you an example of the four levels of awareness. The four levels of awareness come through your bodies. And there's four bodies. There's the physical body, emotional body, mental body, and spiritual body. So if there's a chance that you have an awareness in any of these or in all of them, then you have a greater chance of being aware in all the other bodies as well. So as I've said, I was aware of my anger. So that was my emotional body and I had sensed that. But as I continue to heal, my awareness has expanded into the other bodies as well. Once I started to recognize what was going on in my mind and the negative thoughts and the negative behavioral patterns, I could then resonate going, my negative thoughts were leading to negative emotions. So now I've placed awareness in two of my bodies, which was the mind and the emotions. When I started to progress further into my healing, my physical body would actually show me signs and symptoms of other issues that were part of the mental and emotional issues that I'm dealing with. So when I had a physical discomfort, it wasn't just on the physical level. I then started to look at the mental and emotional aspects of it as well, because now my body was activated with unresolved issues. 
So then I started to work on those three levels. And eventually I would incorporate spirit into that as well. Okay, so let's look at some examples of what those would actually mean. What does it mean to be physically aware? Well, when there's a discomfort in the body, or what some medical professions like to call a disease, it means your body is in dis-ease. You have to separate the two words. Your body was meant to be in ease, not in dis-ease. So if you're feeling illness, say you get colds a lot easier than others, you constantly have aches and pains. Perhaps you're noticing them in similar aspects into your body. Maybe you always have it in your shoulder or you're having chest pains. What if you have insomnia? These are just some examples of physical discomfort that if you draw awareness to, you may see that there's other layers that can be healed from that. The emotional body. If you can start to gauge where your emotions are, and it's a spectrum, there's love on one side, there's hate on the other side. So this is, this is a spectrum of emotions. One is not better than the other. One is not worse than the other. It is energy. Love and hate are still energy. They're still frequency. So if you can pay attention to where your emotions are, and that can be the ones that we like to avoid, which are anger, jealousy, insecurity, hatred, fear, doubt, hopelessness, unworthiness, undeservingness. These are slightly heavier emotions. And then you look at the positive emotions, love, joy, kindness, gentleness, um, courtesy, empathy. Courtesy is probably more of an action. These are the emotional spectrum. And there's lots of other emotions in between. I'm just highlighting a few. To be aware of spiritual body. Are you feeling out of alignment? Are you grounded? Are you not feeling centered within yourself? Is there a connection that's missing that you feel is a part of your life, but you don't know where to go? You don't know where to, to search or what to believe in. You're questioning your faith. This would be a time of awareness into your spiritual body to bring that into alignment. Then there's also the mental awareness, being aware of your thoughts. And this is a tricky one. Thoughts are tricky to catch because we're constantly thinking, constantly, constantly, and perhaps I shouldn't say that you are. Let me rephrase. I am constantly thinking and thinking and thinking and overthinking all the time. Again, it's so annoying, but I am getting better at it. Tracing thoughts. Is it negative? Is it positive? Is it neutral? What am I thinking about? When am I thinking about it? If I'm triggered by something or someone, what is my thoughts? How am I reacting to it? Because whatever I'm thinking then becomes into those emotions and then I react and vice versa. So those are examples will hopefully guide you into recognizing what to be aware of within your four bodies. I've explained how I was feeling. So once I learned that, then became the second step. Who do I talk to about it? From the step of awareness to the step of reaching out and contacting someone to get some help is a huge step. I do not belittle that in any way at all because it's a very bold, brave, courageous step. And I applaud anyone who is willing and ready to take that step. So this is where 
the counseling started to come for me because I didn't have family or friends or partners or counselors or teachers. Um, I didn't have that kind of supportive system at all. In fact, again, because this wasn't talked about so much, I didn't know where to go. So I reached out and I contacted a community service to start some counseling. Now, at that time, it was called Catholic Family Services, which is here in Calgary. And then some at some point, it changed into Calgary Counseling Center or Calgary Counseling Services came into that building. So that's just what I vaguely remember of that transition. But both of them are still around. So I got judged right away for doing that. When I did eventually talk about that I'm going into counseling, I got judged by family members who thought that I was joining some kind of religious cult. Um, You know what they do to you? They play with your mind like you're sick in the head. Again, here's some more derogatory terms of the mental illness. This is why it's difficult for people to talk about it. So I received that kind of flack from, from some family members and from some people. So that's why I kept it quiet for a long time. Because... Even though it was called a different organization, what it was is that they offered a sliding scale program. What that means is, is that I was not making a lot of money at the time. So they would base their sessions, the cost of the sessions on what I was earning. So that's what the sliding scale meant. I couldn't afford $150, $200 counselors or therapists or psychologists So what they offered me is they took my income, they looked at it and go, okay, this is what you can afford. You can still receive counseling. You're just going to have it at a reduced rate. And I was so grateful for that. My sessions were $6 a session because that was literally all I could afford to do. I don't recall who my counselor was at the time, but I know that I was specific and asked only for a female counselor. There was no way that I could get into a session with a male counselor, not with the anger that I was having, and especially the anger towards men. She was really wonderful. And I spent, I don't know, maybe a year or two in that counseling. And I had gone back a few times over the years. And I had even done a group counseling session with them as well, one that had to deal with sexual abuse. So I had done that kind of counseling on and off for a few years. Eventually, what would happen is I would start to look into alternative healing and alternative counseling, because what I realized at the time was that what I had started with when I was 21 or 22 was not the same as I continued to heal over the years. So I've also worked with energy healers, and that's like Reiki masters, medical intuitives, energy medicine practitioners where they can work into body talk. And that's what my uh, chiropractor does, actually. He does a bit of body talk while he's also making the physical adjustments to my body. Acupuncturists, traditional Chinese medicine. Um, I've worked with mediums, psychics, other intuitives, and all of that I find absolutely amazing and therapeutic. There's other people that work with naturopaths and osteopaths, um, oh my God, there's so, there's so many things out there. Herbalists, the choices are endless. And I'm not sure if I'm going to continue to talk about that in this episode. I think that takes, um, I think that takes more information in a separate episode. And I can talk about the alternative healing and techniques that I've used then. But the third point that I want to make is, okay, first was awareness. Second was reaching out. The third step 
is having a team of supporters. These are the people that you can unequivocally trust, love, admire. These are the people who love you unconditionally. They will not judge you for what you are going through. They want to support you with kindness. They want to encourage you to continue to get help. They're not going to judge you. They're going to love you. Do you feel safe? That's the main point. You need to feel safe with the people that you are going to be sharing your information with. They may not be able to be everything that you need, but having a diverse support group, this is what is called your team or your tribe. These people can help you at various aspects of your life. And I believe it is absolutely vital to have a team of people support you while you are going through your process. I'm very fortunate. Over the years, I've had multiple therapists because some of them deal with different issues and they excel at different issues. Right now, currently, I have two different therapists. One deals more with the sexual assault side of issues, where the other one I do sometimes hypnosis and hypnotherapy and EMDR therapy, where I'm stuck emotionally on certain issues. I also have doctors. I have my my family doctor, and she is wonderful. Even the locum that I've had recently has been wonderful. I have a chiropractor. I have a traditional Chinese medicine doctor. I feel very blessed by having all of this support and all of these different tools and techniques to really help me on my journey. And it has been significant. All of, the, all of their gifts, all of their techniques, all of their abilities has really helped me over the years. But I'm not saying that this is something that you need to do right now. I mean, this has taken me 25 years to get to this point. So with all of this type of healing, I've really learned to grow I've learned to understand the emotions. I've learned to understand that when my mind goes off into what is called cognitive distortion, which basically means that I'm thinking a negative thought and it's now transitioning into a negative feeling, I can stop and catch myself. Where's that thought coming from? What just happened? You know, was it something from work? Was it something from a friend? Am I just going into these scenarios? Why am I going into the scenarios? And the reason why I can do this is because now I have awareness, but I've had 25 years of awareness, right? And it's, it's not done. I'm not done. I continue to go and I continue to grow with this. One of the greatest gifts through this journey that I have received for myself was that I have really had to get truthful with me. I had to be raw and vulnerable and really cut through really cut through the shit of some stuff. And I just have to get real with it. I've had to get real with the anger. I've had to get real with the insecurities, the jealousies, the attachment issues, the sadness, the doubt, the unworthiness. I cannot, I cannot explain enough how unworthy I have felt my entire life. As I've worked through some of the healing, I have also felt and have been told as I've worked in a beautiful healing constellation group with one of my uh, one of my dearest healers, Olga, who has sadly passed away now. And so she's probably the only person I'm actually going to mention by name. Um, she was so profound in my healing. 
She had said to me as we worked in a constellation group one weekend and said, we are all the abused and the abuser. And that was a really difficult concept for me to grasp. Because one thing I never wanted to ever be was an abuser. Now, I've never physically or sexually assaulted anybody, but I have said mean things. I have felt mean things. And these are not kind. These, these things don't make me feel good. But I have to acknowledge that I have done them. But also, once the abuse had actually ended, and really, they really kind of ended around when I was about 21, I ended up abusing myself. And that's probably far more worse than what any of those other guys had done to me, or those bullies, or family members, or friends, or just co-workers, uh, students. The worst thing I could have done was abuse myself, and that is what I had done. I had done it with food. Absolutely, food became an addiction, especially sugar. I've done it with attitude, as I've talked about earlier, right? I would let my, my anger defend me. I would let my anger protect me. I've also abused myself by thinking and feeling that I'm just too damaged to be loved. I'm unworthy to be loved. I'm a woman. I'm not supposed to be loved. So this kind of self-abuse was just taken from what was done to me, and then I just did that and did it to myself. And so as I am right now in my mid-40s, I continue to grow to love myself because I am not what those people did to me. I am not what they had said to me. Underneath all of this, which is what I think helped me survive, was that I am love and I am light. And I can feel it. It's this divineness that is in me, that is in everybody. I absolutely believe it's in any everybody. It's whether or not I choose to believe it. It's whether or not I choose to accept it and to make that my daily goals and to make my action steps move me towards my light and my purpose, my divine purpose. So even though I highlighted the main three steps, which is awareness, reaching out and contacting people to support you and start your healing journey, and creating a team of supporters for yourself, all the other steps that you are going to take or that you want to take are going to be a reflection of what feels best to you. To heal all of my bodies, and that's not just the one physical body, it's physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. Those four bodies are meant to be in alignment. So the steps that I take towards that are the three things that I've just said. But it's also so much work that I need to do on my own, so I do mirror work. And that one's really challenging. I can't lie. Sometimes it is very difficult to look into the mirror, to look into my eyes and say, Ursula, I love you. I am loved. I am worthy. I am loving. It can trigger me. I can't lie. It can, it can certainly trigger me and, and I can feel the resistance. There are still so many things that I am resistant in my life. But doing the mirror work is one step that I have noticed significant difference. 
because in that moment, I'm looking at myself and I'm connecting that thought, those words, and because I'm vocalizing them and I'm looking in my eyes, I can literally feel within my body in that instant, am I receiving the information or am I still avoiding and deflecting? So it's instantaneous. And that's what makes it so impactful. All your steps that you're going to take after the first three are going to be what feels good to you. You can go alternative, you can go Western, you can stop if you want to, or you can keep going. But what I'm going to suggest for you and for anyone is that the steps that you take, make them gentle, make them kind to yourself. What I try to do is I try to go by leaps and bounds because I see people who are healing quickly, sort of, right? For myself, I really recognized I am a slow healer. I am a late bloomer and I'm a slow healer. That's just how it works for me. Take the steps that you need to take for you. I know that there are online resources as well. There's Facebook, there's Twitter, and there's, and there's a lot of those groups out there as well. And I think a lot of it can be really good. However, just having online friends as well, it's just something to be cautious about that. Are you really talking to the real person? I've been catfished by someone and I'm going to talk about that in another episode because that really led to uh, an opening and a breakdown for me. But that's another episode. So it's just a caution. Are you talking to the real person? Right. I know that the younger generations now, they're loving all the social media stuff. And that's great. And if it's an outlet for you, then please use it. I just hope for you that it is a positive outlet, that these people are being truthful with you as you are with them. Do it by making yourself a priority because no one can do it for you as much as we would like to. No one can take these steps for you. Take whatever daily kindness action steps you can while you are on this journey. You will get to where you are going. You will, honestly. I don't know, I guess if I'm an example of putting in the work, I I work at this daily. It is a daily process for me. It's a choice for me to wake up in the morning and go, today is a happy day. And I haven't always felt like that and I have, haven't always thought that. But it is now an active choice that I make to see today as beautiful. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you or someone you know is in immediate need of help, please contact your local authorities, distress center, or professional care provider. If you'd like more information on this episode or other topics, go to my website, UrsulaYou'reDone.com.